I'm Georgine Huang, CEO and co-founder of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Hi, and welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. My name is Georgine Huang, and I'm the co-founder of Fairy God Boss, the largest career platform for women. And I'm so excited today to have a conversation with Anne Phelan, who's the Vice President of Product Management at Publicist Sapient. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Georgine. So today we're going to have a conversation that spans your career, advice, and lots of good stuff that our audience is very eager to hear about. Why don't we get started by you telling us about your career journey. What do you do today and how did you get there? Yeah, sure. It's uh, unfortunately over a long period of time because I've got 20 plus years experience of um, my career to date. I'm currently, as you've said, Vice President for Product Management at Publicis Sapient. And what that means is I'm responsible for our team who support and help our clients doing going through digital business transformation. But I'm also responsible for our, working with our clients within our retail and consumer product space. As I've said, I've got 20 plus years experience, although I've only ever worked with three organizations to get to where I am today. I started out graduate program when I left my bachelor course and I started with a food retailer over in the UK. The branding is similar to an organization you have in North America called Safeway, but they're a grocer equivalent to a Walmart, I suppose, um, at the time. I was with them for five years, was a computer programmer, decided I wanted to understand the problems and the opportunities that people wanted to solve rather than just solving them. So um, I moved to a fashion retailer over in the UK where I worked with them for a long time around digital and what that meant for them, solving the problems that we had as an organisation. I, in a way, lost my way with Debenhams um, to a certain extent. And by that, I mean, after eight and a half years of working with them, I didn't believe in them as an organisation anymore. The main thing for me was actually... I delivered everything that I could do for me personally, and I've progressed in a way that had made me happy. Um, the day I decided to look for another opportunity, I actually got an off-chance ping or a LinkedIn message from Publicis Sapient, who were called Sapient Nitro at the time, a company I'd never heard of saying, we're interested in you, do you want to have a conversation? And the rest is genuinely history. I've been with Publicis Sapient for eight and a half years. I have progressed and had opportunities that were beyond my wildest expectations. I have been successful with the team that I've grown, but also really lucky with the people I've worked with as well to help me on my journey, but enabling me to help them on their journey to get what they want as well out of their careers. Thank you for sharing that. I'm quite familiar with those companies because I lived in the UK for about five Ah. years and also have a product (laughs) management background. So I can appreciate your desire to go from engineering to product and being closer to the customer and the yeah. end user. Yeah. You sort of describe these three positions over 20 years. It sounds like getting the ping from publicity was an important turning point in your life, but were there other ones that you think mattered quite a great deal in terms of your career? And what are some of the most important decisions that you made? Career-wise, yes. I suppose that first pivotal point, making that decision of going away from technical engineering and using an opportunity of a company that was being bought out and knowing that I would eventually lose my job, so be made redundant, and taking an opportunity to test the market on what I could do based on the experience I had. I was only four and a half years into my career at that point. I never thought I would go into engineering. I always thought I would go into 
the business part of business. So whether that be marketing or HR to some extent as well, or people success, depending on on, uh, your terminology that you want to call it. But I thought I'd be involved in the running of business and participating that rather than the enabling of business. And I was unemployed for five months while I was trying to find an organisation that believed that I could do that next stage that I wanted to go to rather than having to take a sideways step to go down the route I wanted to go. And it's a tough thing to make career change, especially early on, not even though they were still closely aligned, because it's still technically engineering to a certain extent. You know, as product people, we talk about people, process, technology and data. And if you've got that understanding and, and that appreciation of those four things to drive that forward, then, then that really helps. But at the time, this was, you know, 16 years ago, product didn't exist as a right work as a job product was something that you bought from a store it was something that um, you kind of felt and touched not necessarily something that you enabled because of how you thought and how you could go forward so that was a really big turning point for me in my career I think another turning point was when I joined Publicis Sapien or what was Sapient Nitro at the time the place I joined from a company perspective was a small part of the organization we were called business consultants it was a small team in the UK we didn't have the presence across EMEA as such. We only had it in Germany and a very small team in the Nordics as well. And about three years into the role I was playing, I was having a conversation with a line manager of mine who was an excellent line manager. And he said, we're going to cease to exist as part of the business. Not in a bad way. It's like we're evolving. We were evolving. We're rebranding ourselves. This is what it's going to look like. We've done lots of acquisition. We'd grown to a certain extent. And he said to me, he said, I want you to lead what will become product for the UK or product management for the UK. And what? how do you feel about that? Now, this was four and a half, five years ago. I'd just got married. I knew that we were going to be trying for a baby. I suffer from huge imposter syndrome. And I had to ask him if he was asking me because he thought I could do it or because he thought that actually I was going to tick a box because I was a female and there's not many females who are in that position to do that, to which I was told I was particularly stupid for thinking like that. And why would I ever be asked to do something that they didn't think I could do? And I think that was a pivotal point for me because up until that point, even though I led and I led by example and I really wanted to drive what was right for us as an organisation and our people, but also for our clients, I never realised that actually the value that I could add was appreciated by others within the organisation. To be asked to lead something that you don't necessarily have the knowledge in across all of the verticals or the industries that we work in is, is actually a fantastic element of pride that you can have yourself. So to be able to elevate myself to a leadership perspective that was showcasing what we could do to work globally to understand what we needed to shape and change and direct for our people um, and ensuring that everybody has the right opportunity and then having that platform for that voice was a great pivotal moment for me. Wow well thank you for sharing that with all the candor and congratulations on the role and getting married a few years ago. You mentioned imposter syndrome so I'm just going to ask I assume that gender, you feel, has played some role in your career. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I'm laughing because gender plays a role in my career, but gender played a role in my upbringing as well. So I'm from a very traditional background, mom, dad, but I'm also one of eight siblings. And my dad was a very traditional man. 
in females had certain roles and males had certain roles. And that's basically how he was brought up. It was, you know, he was a child of, of the Second World War. And that's the way that people were then. And I think that I'm number six in an orchestra of eight. And I've got three older brothers, all of which went down the business route, went down a technology, went down a career that wasn't necessarily a people career or a caring career, which is what the females in my family have done. So I've got a sister who's a head teacher and I've got a sister who's a social worker and both of them do amazing work shaping and guiding people who need support and need help. But I decided early on that actually I didn't want to go down the route that was traditionally my family. I know it's a strange thing to say and it's probably a strange thing to hear, but when I told my dad and my mum what I wanted to do, well, I did a degree in psychology and criminology, so nobody really knew what I wanted to do. But when I wanted to go down the business route, the questions I was asked was, but are you sure? What does that mean? It's not a vocation. And, and I was challenged every step in a way that my brothers never were. So I think that element of gender was ingrained in me from early on, partly to prove a point, but also because I wanted to see the opportunities that were out there. As I've kind of gone through my career, it's interesting because I've always been engineering focused or technology focused. It is a very male dominated part of work. And I've been through stages where I've been told something isn't possible or where I've acted in the same way as somebody else, um, the somebody else who would be a male. I was told I was aggressive. They've been told they're assertive. I've been questioned on my decisions. Other people have just been able to go on and do them. And it's elements like that that, one, make you question yourself, but two, make you want to not let anybody else have to go through those sorts of things and really champion the ability to challenge or question and not feel like you don't belong and not feel like actually you're being given an opportunity because you're ticking a box and I will always suffer from imposter syndrome I do <laughs> every day I got promoted recently and even though I was told and I had a letter for it I still had to wait for that next form of communication for me to ensure that that it was true and it did happen because it's like really is this happening to me you know, I'm in my 40s, but actually mentally I'm still in my 20s. So should I really be getting to that point yet? So, yes, gender's really played a part. And I've gone through lots of obstacles on my way to ensure that I've got to the place that I am today and as a result of gender. Right. So, well, thank you for sharing that. You are certainly not alone. We hear from many women in all levels of seniority and accomplishment who feel similarly and who've overcome what they have to deal with, big and small, along the way. Can you talk to me to that point about the other women that you've encountered and interacted with in your career and maybe tell us about what's been helpful, who's been helpful and who's had influence upon you? Yeah, sure. Even though I said before around the fact that I was in technology and it's a very male dominated industry, actually my very first line manager, who was called Sarah, um, so this is 20 years ago, she was a female in a technology team, quite senior in an organisation and I think having her as that people manager, as a career coach, was really important to have somebody who was a female when I first started out to showcase actually anything is possible and what that means. And she wasn't afraid to use her voice. And there were certain things and the way that she went about, even as simple as reviewing resumes when people submitted to join company with us, I still do the things that she told me that she did. 
to be efficient, to really cut through the stuff that people put in to find out what those key things are that we really, really, really need. And, you know, that was great to have somebody early on in my career to really showcase how a female could be and should be in an organisation when 20 years ago it was very male dominated. I've worked with a number of females in all of the teams that I've worked with, both more senior than me and, and more junior than me and also peers. And I learned from each of them all the time. There was somebody who I actually didn't directly work with, which was called Demi. Her reputation of how good she was as a graduate for us at Debenhams was phenomenal. So when I started working at Sapient, we were wanted to build out our team. I reached out to her and was like, Demi, you know, I've never worked directly with you. I've seen what you've done. I've seen how happy you make people. I've seen how amazing you are for building a team along and building that community. Do you fancy joining us at Sapient? And she was just graduated. She just started somewhere else her first year out of graduating. And she moved over to us. And it was brilliant. And she, she's unfortunately left us now. But every so often I'll speak to people in the team. It's like, you're a Demi. You're the person who wants to drive a community. You're the person who continually is inclusive and challenges and does it in the right way and wants to drive and wants to be successful. So she's someone who's absolutely, her mentality on how she goes to work is really aspirational uh, when you work with so many people like I do. I think the final female that I'll talk about that I've worked with or I've interacted with during my working career, I was lucky enough to have a career coach about four years ago, five years ago now, same sort of time as I was asked to, to lead the product team. And her name was Sally. And the challenge I gave her with me is I suffer from imposter syndrome. I also want to succeed. How can I do that without feeling guilty? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And she was absolutely pivotal in these are some techniques that you can use. Actually question yourself on what it is you expect. I have high expectations of everybody that I work with because I have high expectations of the stuff I deliver myself. And I run at a thousand percent as lots of women do but she said to me she said you're exhausted because you you do your work at 200 percent. your hundred percent is 200 percent." and she said nobody else knows that nobody else knows that your hundred percent is 200 percent. if you went down to 80 percent, that would still be significantly more delivery than others are doing what about if you went down to 75 what would that look like and it's something that has really stuck with me especially as i've got more senior and also had children it's a what is truly important and what are the things that need to be done and how I deliver them and still be proud of what I'm outputting and, you know, the outcomes that I'm driving for my clients. But I don't have to do the 200 percent to be absolutely exhausted all the time. You know, I don't have to set everybody else's bar so high that I'm disappointed when they give me 150 percent and not 200 percent. So I think that was that was critical from a female who has really influenced me, especially as I've gone into the more senior part of my career. That's very interesting. I relate to that quite a lot. And I think a lot of women who put their head down and do work think that they'll be recognized for that effort and expenditure that they're giving to their job. And that maybe goes to one of the topics that I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, the impactful lessons that you've learned while working. It sounds like you've learned something about yourself and how you need to manage yourself. Is there anything else that you would like to share with anyone listening today about lessons that you think are important in the workplace? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple, actually. 
when you are working and you become a parent or you've been a parent and then you go to work, whichever way around you decide to do the journey. I had children later in my life. What is truly important is your family. But also what's important is understanding how you make that fit into your life as a in your career and as you're working. I protect my time with my children. They're at daycare. But when they come home in the evening, I protect that time. I make sure that I do dinner, bath and bed with them. I make sure I'm there to read them a story. And 95% of the time I'm able to do that. There's certain days where you just physically can't do it. But I really, truly protect that time. And I think be clear of what the lesson is, be clear of what it is that you need. And don't be afraid to say that is what you are going to do. You don't have to say it in an aggressive way and you don't have to say it in a, no, I'm not doing that. It's a, if someone wants to talk to me or a client needs to speak to me between the hours of 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., you know, it's a, if it's critical, I will do it, obviously, and you read that room. But it's a, I can't do it right now, but I can do it. And you give another option for it. So pending the type of career that you've got, the type of role that you've got, don't be afraid of saying no, but. So it's never a hard no give options. I think that's the first key takeaway, key lesson that I've learned going through my career. I think the second one is, and it relates to the imposter syndrome, is never be afraid to ask questions. The greatest power and the greatest gift that we all have is our voice. And it's how we use that to its greatest benefit. And part of that is learning. And there's no such thing as a silly question. Often people say that, you know, they start to ask a question and go, can I ask a stupid question? It's like, there's no such thing. by Because by using your voice to ask that question, you are empowering yourself to learn and you're enabling others to learn something that maybe they assumed, but they didn't truly know themselves. And often, specifically as females, we feel like we can't ask questions. We feel like we have to keep quiet because by asking a question, it's going to show our vulnerable side that we don't know everything. And actually, that's not true. It's so important to have a voice to ensure you use it and ensure you use it to benefit yourself by learning continually, which will just make yourself better in whatever it is that you're deciding to do in your career, whether it is you're making that decision to change careers or it's that you're trying to challenge the norm or you're looking for that next opportunity to progress your career. All of that is equally important. And, you know, your voice helps you learn. Yeah. So drawing boundaries is the first important lesson you've learned. And then being able to demonstrate that your voice matters and you don't have to judge yourself negatively for using it. I'm guessing that you're a role model now for other women in your organization and at work. Can you talk a little bit about how you support other women or mentor them? You mentioned Demi and bringing her along and recruiting her. But once they're working with you, what are some things that you've done or you believe in? Within Publicity Sapien, we've got some brilliant official mentoring schemes that have been put in place um, as part of Publicity Sapient, but also overall as a publicist group, which we're part of as well. And we have programs that are specifically for women. We have programs that are specifically for those who are in early careers and it varies for, for everything that you could possibly think that you need and what that looks like. I'm also a unofficial mentor for a lot of people, I suppose, people who 
don't have a direct lineage to me from a, either a career coach or a people manager perspective, but they still reach out to have regular conversations and just what does this opportunity, how would you go about it? Or this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think? Is there any other advice you can give? And I think that when you're mentoring people, it's important for me, it's important to understand exactly what they want to be mentored for. So there's a couple of people who talk to me and want to be mentored because they're working moms. It's, it's as simple as that. And they want to understand what does that mean for them in their career, whether it's their first child and they're, they're just starting to tell people that they're expecting or it's that they're starting to expand their family. And what does it mean by becoming a, a working mom? Does that mean that I have to stop with my career or actually do I as I turned it to somebody who's just was going on maternity leave last year and she's just come back, I said, don't think of maternity leave as an elongated break from work, a leave from work. Because yes, it is. But actually, when people think of you and what you do at work, they'll, it's as though you've just been on a really long weekend break. Because all they compare, what they do is you were here up to a certain date, then you weren't here, then you're back. So they expect you to do what you did before. And that's how exactly it should be. Not that, oh, you know... Georgine's been on maternity leave therefore she's forgotten everything that she's ever done that's not how work should be and it's about also not just coaching and supporting people who come to me for advice but also people who they have to work with and you know as we're going through this period of change and what working from home hybrid working flexible working all of that what that entails so I speak to some people and coach and, and, and mentor some people around that but I also, I always forget, and again, imposter syndrome, I've come a long way in actually a relatively short space of time. So I, four years ago, I, I got to a senior position in the organisation. I, I got to director. But in four years, I've gone from director to senior director to VP. And actually, what does that mean? What are the things that you need to be thinking about in a male-dominated organisation what are the things that you need to do to break those boundaries to, you know, to smash through that glass ceiling? And I often forget, and, and maybe I do myself a disservice as a result of that, but I coach and mentor people around the opportunities that are available. So that's not just to say that it's a, it's a job, therefore it's a role that you can apply for. It's actually, this is what you've been asked to do. Don't just think about the direct task. Think about what that means, the value that adds. How can you move that across and add additional value to the clients that we work with or the team that you're working with as well? And I think that's really important. It's the biggest thing for me is making sure that everybody has the same opportunities available to them. Whether they know they're there or not is a different matter, but nobody gets prohibited for going for something because of any reason whatsoever. And that's super important, something that really goes through everything when I'm working with people from a mentoring and coaching perspective. Thank you for sharing that. I want to turn to the last few years. You mentioned this just now that we've gone to remote, hybrid, flexible, different kinds of ways of working. But the past few years have also been incredibly challenging. Some of the flexibility can be challenging to navigate, actually. And so are you doing anything differently as a result of the past few years? And what advice do you have for our listeners on how to persevere through the tough moments? It's strange. If I think back to pre-having children, I was traveling with work probably three times a month. You never thought twice about jumping on a plane, jumping on a train and 
you know, going from New York to London to Hong Kong in like three days, which has happened a number of times. And you just did it. You never thought. And also, and that was also pre-children. I think the key thing that I've noticed in the difference is this way of working has affected everybody. It's impacting everybody, whether you realise it or not, whether you want to do it or not, you know, this whole new way, for want of a better term. And as it's affecting everybody, then actually it becomes easier to navigate because you don't feel like you having to justify the fact that you are going to work from home today because it's easier, because the trains aren't running, for example, and that, you know, you can't do that commute. Or my current situation, my eldest son will be going to what we call in the UK primary school. So he's just turning four. So we are having to go and look at schools that we want to apply to for him. There are only tours available during working hours. But previously, it would be like, right, I need to really schedule it in. Whereas now I think I'm going to work from home that day. It's an hour out of my day. I can manage that. That's fine. And I think it's a mindset shift yourself around the fact that you manage your own schedule you know hopefully if you're lucky or you shouldn't be lucky everybody should take a lunch break but whether you take that lunch break at 10 o'clock in the morning because I need to go and look at a school or if you're taking that lunch break at two o'clock in the afternoon because that's when you want to eat it shouldn't matter when you take that break away and you and actually you should be stepping away from your day-to-day work and your day-to-day tasks to have that mental break from it anyway and I think that's the key thing with this flexible hybrid fluid, however we term this way of work that that is now the norm, is make it work for you. Obviously, don't annoy people with what you're doing and and lean in where you need to lean in, but do ensure that you also make it work for you. Right. I also have a four-year-old son and just this morning on the way in on the train, I was late to booking the parent-teacher conference. Uh (laughs) Of course, all the working parents took the first slots in the morning already. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) I decided that was going to be a work from home day for me. Yeah, don't blame you. And actually, speaking of which, that goes right into the last topic I wanted to discuss with you, which is so many women, as you mentioned, even turn to you at work about work-life balance or how to balance family and work questions. How do you do it? I mean, you mentioned having sacred time for at the end of the day. Do you have any advice for someone who is concerned about how to do this and concerned about how to achieve balance is a word that I struggle with, but you know, how to do the different things and address the different parts of your life. I I think the first thing I would say to anybody is don't beat yourself up about whatever it is you decide to do, because whatever it is that you decide to do, you do because it will work for you and your family. And that is super, super, super important rather than it working for somebody else. I question my one sanity, but also, Georgine, you've probably gone through this as well. Uh, Am I doing the right thing by working as many hours as I'm working? Am I doing the right thing by putting my children in daycare and questioning myself all the time? But I look at how happy my two children, two boys, one's one and one's turning four. I see how happy they are every day. I'm lucky that I work Monday to Friday. If I work at weekends, it's my choice to work at weekends. My weekends are really sacred time with my boys. Um, You know, I focus on doing that. I focus on when I'm with them having fun. And every so often you're doing a Teams chat or a work WhatsApp or a work email when they're there. But actually, I also want them to see that 
it's normal to be on a call and working and talking to somebody through a video screen. I want them to see that normality from their mom, not just from their dad. You know, I dropped my boys off this morning and one of them said, are you working today, mommy? I said, yeah, yes, I work every day, darling. And he said, oh, but daddy works from home. Where do you work? And it's interesting because when he's in the house, I'm making sure I'm focusing on them. Whereas if my husband's doing childcare pickup, he will run and get them and he may have to come back and jump on a call. Whereas I'll sort out what I need to sort out with them. But he associates working from home with his dad. He doesn't associate working from home for me because he doesn't often see me do that. But I also want to normalise it. You know, I want him to grow up realising that anybody can do whatever they want. But yeah, the biggest advice is do not beat yourself up. Don't. And it's really easy to challenge yourself and question yourself. But what's important is that your family's happy. Yeah, absolutely. There's no one size fits all to how to do this. Okay, we've covered some really serious stuff. And so we're going to lighten it up a little with some fast questions. (laughs) Number one, what's your favorite karaoke song? If it was my choice, I'm going old school back to the 1980s. And it is Katrina and the Waves and Walking on Sunshine. If it was my children's choice, it would be The Wheels on the Bus. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Okay, number two, what's your favorite way to practice self-care? I recently got back into exercise. I used to run an awful lot and children took over and couldn't fit in PE kit anymore. So I I stopped doing that as much, but I've recently really got back into exercise and just having that hour a day where it's focused on getting lots of aggression out through exercise is just brilliant for my mental health. I think that's the best thing for me. Great. Who's one celebrity you would like to have dinner with? Oh, this is a tough one. I'd like to have more than one uh, to dinner party because then it turns it into more of a party. I would say what is now the Princess of Wales. So Princess Catherine, Catherine Middleton, because she had a normal life and she's now the forefront of everything because of who she married. And I think it would just be fascinating to understand actually what that means. And also to try and get some inside gossip on the British royal family. I think that'd be quite nice. Right. I think you're not alone in that. (laughs) What book would you recommend to our audience? I'm an avid reader, so this is tough. I would go down something like an old school book, Memoirs of a Geisha, I think is one of the best books I've ever read. I think it's beautifully written. It's completely immersive. And actually, some of the things that are talked about from the experience of this geisha can resonate even though it was from an awfully long time ago that the situation is it's like some of it you can lift and shift to today and it's still relevant it still works it's just a beautifully written book so I definitely recommend that okay final question this is a thing that we do at fairy god boss we encourage women to talk about what they're good at sometimes it's called bragging because we think that women are disadvantaged by not doing more of it particularly in a work context. So as a role model for so many of us and people who are listening today, is there a brag you would like to share with us? That's really uncomfortable, isn't it? What would my brag be? My brag would be four years ago, I got promoted to director at the company I work for. So what is now Publicis Sapient. I was a handful of female directors within the UK at the time. In four years, I have gone from director to senior director to VP. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't good at what I did. Great. I love it. Okay. 
final question. You've given us so much food for thought and advice, but is there a final number one piece of advice that you'd want to leave our listeners with? It's use your voice. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to find out information. It is the greatest power that we have is our voice. It truly is because we can do so much with it. We can showcase and highlight when people are being amazing by doing a brilliant shout out for them we can always pull someone up when they're making a mistake or when they're saying something that's not quite right or what they believe in isn't you know isn't really the way that they should be thinking or that we should be thinking it's a way that we expend our knowledge it's a way that we support each other and that is such a big important thing so yeah use your voice don't be afraid to use your voice as females we are often scared to use it but we shouldn't be Well, thank you for sharing your stories and voice with us today, Anne. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.